You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, sponsored by Starburst Magazine, and for the next 60 minutes we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm shaking my booty. Simon. Ooh, hello. Did I say it a bit poncy or something? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <coughs> Poncier or just... You don't usually say hello. Don't know what I usually say. Oh, hi, I'm JR. Yes. Oh, oh hello, I'm JR. <laughs> yeah, hello, I'm Mark. Hello, I'm Simon. Uh, that didn't work at all. Should have said A up. Well, I talk like that anyway, I'm posh. Mm. But no, he's saying you should have said it, taking a mickey out of me. Oh, I see, sorry. Because that's what we like to do on this podcast, isn't it? Mm. Okay. Harsh but fair. Mm-hmm. This is the second episode we're recording on New Year's Day in the evening. You're not doing any on the spots. Oh, no, I forgot to organise it. Oh, sorry. Don't worry, it'll be back. Yeah, cheers, Simon. Okay, <laughs> randomly. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we didn't have one in the last episode either, uh, so randomly, mm-hmm. just off the top of my head... Simon, you can talk for 60 seconds on the subject of the war machines. Um, Right, the war machines I watched, was it last year, the year before? Picked it up because it was really cheap on DVD. Can't think why it would be cheap, that one. Um, Quite enjoyable, though, for a lot of odd reasons. One being, as we discussed a couple of podcasts back, that is the first time it was called Doctor Who on screen and also the first episode or the first story to be set in modern day or contemporary England Um, and also having lots of uh, well-known landmarks like the post office tower and things like that so it really did was deep rooted in the times that people knew Um, as far as the story's concerned it's okay. It's a bit wishy. I can't remember a lot about it, considering I watched it fairly recently. I can't actually remember a lot about it, apart from the fact there was lots of silly robots, badly designed and what have you. Um, but first appearance of Polly and... Ben. Ben, yes. And there's a really great bit that some of the story hinges upon where a tramp gets murdered in the middle of the night, and even though the newspapers have already gotten to press, they decide to run with the headline that the tramp got murdered in the middle of the night on the morning edition. (laughs) (coughs) Yeah, I don't know quite where that came from, but yes, that's uh, some very interesting plotting there from Mm. the people behind Doctor Who at the time. And randomly, off the top of my head, Mark, for the next 60 seconds, you can talk about school reunion. 
Oh, I quite like this one. My missus really doesn't like it at all, but I really like it. Sarah Jane back again. Toby Whithouse, one of his better stories, in my opinion. Um, K9, good old K9 have him back again. Um, Why doesn't your missus like it? Uh, I think she finds it all a bit sort of mawkish and kind of going back over the show's history. Yeah, yeah, a bit too much of that. And do you like the Krillotane? Perhaps not the greatest monsters, but I think it's worth watching just to see David Tennant and Liz Slade and I chemistry. like, uh, you know, we're interrupting it on the spot, which we should not do. <laughs> I like the fact that they give Anthony Head some really meaty stuff to do. Yeah. And I love the design of the Krillotanes. Oh, do you? Yeah, I do. I think they look great. I know they're a purely CGI creation, Mm. but, you know, it sells itself. Mm. Mm. I think it works. Um, Anything else you want to bring up, Mark? Oh, bloody hell. Um... No, then. (laughs) (coughs) Okay, and for the next 60 seconds, Lee, you're going to be talking about the Green Death. Oh, well, now... Lee's not with us. He's not going to be talking about the Green Death. <clears throat> Maybe I should, though. He's absent without leave, isn't he? Because he Actually, I should have brought that up uh, when we recorded the last episode an hour and a half ago, but I didn't. <laughs> We've no idea where he is. If you've seen no. him, um, just let us know. It's um, blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. Yeah. Cause... Cause... Uh, pictures would be good. Yeah. If we can see Lee in various different <laughs> places, it would be he... quite good. Or if you if you've got one of those global whatever it is things called where you can tell where somebody is positioning devices yeah, GPS yeah I'd like to see some Polaroids like in uh, like the gnome in Amelie <laughs> or like uh, Brian in Dinosaurs yeah, in a Spaceship yeah. <laughs> because we actually don't know where he is or why he's not no, here no. <laughs> he just didn't turn <laughs> up <laughs> but then it is New Year's Day. Yeah. He might have turned up for very good reasons, the same reasons we three shouldn't be here, because as far as I'm aware, our three other halves are on the phone to each other, bitching about us right now. Mm, very probably. <laughs> it <laughs> With is. With some justification. <clears throat> yeah. Still, you know, li- dear listener, this is our pledge to you. Well, it was either today is... or Christmas Day, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we were actually thinking of going back in time a week to record this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and so... Well, um, what are we no, talking about, Jay? We're going to talk. Well, this is this is the episode that we were going to do last week, but now we're doing this week because we did the TARDIS thing because it was episode forty, and it's kind of, I suppose, a sequel or a remake of our very first episode. A reimagining. It is a reimagining of our first episode, our very first episode. So I'm playing the part of Lee. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, you can talk nonsense then. Okay, I can. <laughs> Quite readily. <laughs> Is that a bit of a stretch for you there, Simon? Or? No, it's mm. just a little leap of... <laughs> a little leap of... Uh, leap of <laughs> logic, <laughs> yeah. In mm. our very first episode, we just sat and talked for an hour about what was coming up in Doctor Who. And that was just before five episodes of Series 7A aired. And this time, uh, we're recording this just after Stephen Moffat's done a preview of Series 7B in his production notes in Doctor Who magazine. So I thought it'd be quite nice to do an episode where we just looked forward to 7B, mm-hmm. the eight stories, and using that preview that Stephen Moffat's written, just talk about what's coming up. And Other sci-fi-based magazines are available. 
Yes. Starburst magazine mm. is available. And we will... That's know, the magazine where you whinge through every review, isn't it? Wine, I believe, is oh, the word wine, you're looking it? for. Yeah. Wasn't it? I'm sure it was wine. It could be whinge. I, I think it know. was whinge. Either or. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, point <laughs> being, there will be a Series 7 beat preview that no doubt I'll be writing in the next few weeks. Yeah. Coming up in Starburst. No, point being, what we're going to really do, anything that, because if you're a spoiler-phobe, right, what we're not going to be doing is telling you anything that isn't already out in the public domain, by which I mean properly in the public domain. Mm. We're not going to be talking about things that have been revealed on spoiler threads, on forums, mainly because I don't think any of the three of us actually visit spoiler threads on forums. no. Not anymore. <clears throat> no, I, I made that mistake once, and uh, <clears throat> well, <laughs> it's just the ironic thing is that I now am in a position where I do find out things before they come on. <laughs> I've become even more sensitive towards spoilers, particularly about conjecture. I've got no time for it now. Well, that's the weird thing about conjecture. Do you know what I, 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 when I first got on the internet, which as everybody knows, wasn't all that long ago, you know, spoiler sites were something that was new to me. And there were certain things that you don't mind knowing mm. and certain things that you actually want to know. Mm. Like I always kind of like to know episode titles because mm. it's not like, you know, episode titles are not something that's going to be surprised for you during the course of the episode. I wouldn't want to know a twist. No. But an episode title, you're going to find out days or weeks or months ahead of transmission. Mm. So I have no problem with knowing episode titles, and I quite happily know them as early as possible. Or knowing the actors. I don't think that's particularly spoilery. That was the other thing I was going to say, Mm. actors. Unless there's somebody they're keeping a secret Mm. who's going to be a surprise, you know, when the episode turns up. Matthew Waterhouse. I was going to say, like, um, the peep show guys in Dinosaurs mm. on a Spaceship. Yeah. Nobody knew that. The camp that. ones. Yeah, the camp robots. Nobody <laughs> knew that before they turned up on screen. And then when they were on the screen, you yeah. had that brilliant thing of the first time you heard the voices. You're, like, you're thinking, is it? is it? Yeah. Yeah. And then when you do, you can really appreciate it. Mm. And it's a lovely surprise. Mm. Those are the kinds of things I don't like to know. And those are the kind of things that we don't know. Mm. So we're not going to be talking about it in this episode. So we're basically just going to be talking about what Stephen Moffat said and a few other nuggets that are kind of... It's a, it's he's, being fair, he's been pretty good at <clears throat> keeping things shum, isn't he? Whether, I don't think there were any yeah. rumours about Ian McKellen at all, were there? Uh, no, I think that did come out just a few days before. All right, okay. Uh, but probably only in places that you might catch it but you might very well not great intelligence mm. that was that never came out did it? um you know what they released a picture probably about a week before the episode aired with the gi logo oh, right, on okay. it yeah and i'm not sure but there have been there have been rumors for a while that there was going to be Possibly yeah. a Yeti thing. Yeti. We talked about it in our yeah. new, our very first episode, didn't mm. we? There was a the gorgeous modernised illustration, wasn't there? I don't <clears> know if that was official. Oh, it has nothing or... to do with the series. That was just oh, something that some fan had done. But it's yeah. very nice. Yeah. Regardless. But there had been talk about Yeti. So when I saw this GI logo, and people were talking about it anyway, but it just seemed obvious. Great intelligence. 
So I kind of knew the great intelligence. In fact, on the episode we did before, you know, remember Lee was saying, and I was saying my head was about to explode because he was saying, oh, are the snowmen going to turn out to be Yeti? And I'm going, well, no, they're not, but it is going to turn out to be the great yeah. intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why my head was going to explode. Oh, right, right. Oh, well, it's quite nice to be able to reveal that, actually, because yeah. I've forgotten all about that. <laughs> you know, uh, talking of spoiler sites, when... Because uh, here's the thing I find with fans speculating. Mm. Fans tend to speculate. They will take what information there is available mm. and they will try and put that information together to work out what kind of way, what kind of direction the story is going to fall in, right? Mm. But most fans take, tend to take the... Inf- most fans in my experience, certainly not all of them, but most tend to take the information and put it together the way they would write a story. Yeah. And they don't take into account the actual person who is writing the story. Mm. So they'll take bits and pieces of information from a Russell T. Davis episode and they'll put it together in, say, a Stephen Moffat kind of a way. Yeah. And, of course, that's not how it comes out because it's a <laughs> Russell T. Davis episode. Do you remember what was the um, organisation in The End of Time? The oh, silver yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what it's called? The Silver something. Oh, yeah, the old deers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there was, I, and yeah. this was my year of, on the speculation, speculation right? Speculation go-go, yeah. And these people were coming up with all these weird and bizarre, you know, what's <laughs> You didn't this? say wonderful, did you? Aliens, you yeah. know, called the Silver something, living on Earth amongst us and all yeah. this kind of yeah. stuff. And I'm like, it's a Russell T. Davis episode. Yeah, it's got Bernard Cribbins in it, and oh, what's the face was in it? June, Whitfield. June Whitfield. Yeah, it's going to be just some pensioners running <laughs> you know around what? in a bus. You know what I really love is every time a new female character or a female character is is announced, it's the Rani. <laughs> Yeah. Every time. Oh, she's an alien. She's from the past. She's from the future. Yeah. She's Romana. Yeah. She's Susan. No. Yeah. I do that. Actually, thirty-three percent of all. <laughs> rumours are that it's the Rani do you know what I think Stephen Moffat's going to round out his tenure with a big reveal that Rose and Donna and Martha and Amy <laughs> and Jenna Louise Coleman's character Clara oh, yeah. and Rory were all incarnations of the Rani yeah um, that's how he's going to do it yeah, of course part of the fun though speculating hmm yeah, that's the thing. Yes, it is fun to speculate. But if you're going on the serious spoiler sites mm. and doing serious speculating yeah. mm. and you're putting forward theories about what actually you think might plausibly happen, you have to take the writer into account. Mm. Now, and here's a perfect example. Like I said just now, this year I spent, or not year, however many weeks it was where I actually went on the spoiler sites was during a filming of the specials mm. and specifically the end of time. Mm. <clears throat> and there'd been set photos of a scene with the woman from human nature, Jessica Stevenson. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And there had been a photo of Luke and Sarah Jane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no photos had got out of Martha and Mickey. No, but also, photos got out of Captain Jack. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, right. And so all these people were <clears throat> speculating about how all these characters would fit into the story, sort of <laughs> Journey's End style, right? Yeah. yeah. And I was there on these spoiler sites saying, well, hang on, you've got one photo 
in one location mm. from one morning's filming of each of these characters, right? Mm -hmm. There's going to be a coda sequence at the end of David Tennant's last episode where he goes around and visits all his previous companions to say a form of goodbye before he regenerates. Mm. And I got shouted down. <laughs> you idiot. And, the, and I said, I know Rose, people were speculating about Rose. I'm not sure if there was a photo out of Rose, but people said if all these other characters are there, Rose will be there. And I said, yeah, that'll be the last one he visits. Mm. And they're all saying, no, you can't do that because she's in an alternative universe. And I said, okay, what will happen is he'll go back to before she met the ninth doctor and they'll have a conversation in which she doesn't realize who he is. But in emotional terms, he will have said a kind of goodbye to her. Yeah. And they all said, don't be so effing stupid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we watched the episode and it was exactly the way I predicted. Because, yep. you know what? That was the way Russell T. Davis was going to write his goodbye yeah, to David Tennant, right? Yeah. You know, you watch the episode and it is so obvious that's what Russell T. Davis was always going to do. Mm. You know, he virtually did it in Journey's End. There's no way he wasn't going to do it again mm. in The End of Time. Mm. So it was, you know, it wasn't even speculation. It was just that obvious. Mm. And yet there were all these, you know, certain kind of fan on the spoiler sites coming up with their, oh, Captain Jack's in outer space and he sends him off to find this book that this woman's written and, you know, that'll <laughs> lead into such and such and Rose will come through from the alternative dimension and save somebody and all this kind of stuff. And so my head was... A load of fan one act. Oh, my head was going to explode and it just seemed so obvious what was really going to happen. But there you go. You know, that's what I'm saying about what we're not going to do tonight. We will. So, listener, when JR starts speculating, <clears throat> you know that that's actually what's going to happen yeah, actually, when you watch we the programme. There's going to be And if he goes completely bonkers and off on a really wild tangent, please don't be afraid to email in and remind <laughs> him of that once you watch the programme. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? In Series 2, and this is before I was on the internet, do you remember Series 2? During series two, there were like interviews with Billy Piper in which mm. she said she was coming back for the third series. Mm. And she was obviously, you know, in retrospect, she was obviously lying. She wasn't coming back for the next series, but she didn't give, want to give away the fact that she was leaving. Mm. Mm. So she was like leading a journalist up the garden path. Uh, I didn't have the internet at the time, but, you know, obviously I knew certain things from Doctor Who magazine. And, you know, you just picked certain things up by having watched Russell T. Davis' stories and kind of knowing how his mind works and just sort of previews of episodes that were coming up. And at the end of School Reunion, you might even have been there for this, Mark, in the pub afterwards, after School Reunion. That's we very were, unlikely. In the pub? Yeah, but you, me, Peter and Sam used to mm. go to the pub afterwards and talk about it. And we knew there was a story coming up that was set on the alternate planet Earth. Mm which was the Cyberman mm, story. Yeah. And we also knew the story after that was set during the 50s. Right? Mm. And Mickey, at the end of school reunion, goes into the TARDIS, right? Yeah. And in the pub on that night, you know this story already, Mark. Mm. You'll know what I'm about to say, I suppose. Well, go on. Well, I said, right, Mickey goes with the Doctor and Rose, right? And I said, right, but doing a story set in the 50s is either going to have to address the fact that he's black or ignore it, right? Mm. And addressing it at that point seemed to me a bit of a step too far for Doctor Who. I hadn't quite got into that sort of territory. Mm. Did it a year later with Martha in Human Nature because yeah. I think by that time it was a lot more confident. But at the time 
Russell T. Davis was right in series two. I didn't think they had the confidence to do that. So I said, right, Mickey's not going to be in that episode. So, alternative Earth story, Mickey's going to stay behind on the alternative Earth, right? So I said, thinking about it, this alternative Earth story is going to have an alternative Jackie and Pete Tyler, right? Because mm. in the alternative Earth mm. story, he's not going to have died. Yep. So I said, what if in that story, the alternative Mickey and the alternative Jackie both get killed? Right. So real Mickey stays on the alternative <laughs> Earth yeah. with Pete Tyler. Yeah. And then in the very last episode of the series, because what I was thinking is that Rose and the Doctor are so close, she's never going to leave him voluntarily. So I said, what if Jackie dies in the alternative Earth, <laughs> yep. Mickey stays in the alternative Earth, and Pete's alive in the alternative Earth, yep. and then at the end of episode 13, Jackie gets trapped in the alternative Earth, yep. and Billy Piper's character then has, and the way I phrased it, the way I was thinking it at the time, she has a choice. Mm. Her entire family is separated from this universe. She can either stay with the Doctor or she can be with a family that is now reunited with the dead father. Yep. And I said, that'll be how she goes. She'll choose the family. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't a million miles Not out. Not too far. No, no. So... You hadn't allowed for Handy Doctor. <laughs> well, that wasn't until two years later, <laughs> was well, it? Well, yeah, quite. <clears throat> yeah, then everything went awry. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, yeah. if you know the way a writer's mind works... And I'm not being pretentious enough to say I know how Russell T. Davis's mind works. No, but, but you know, you yeah. pick up certain things along you the get way. Flavors, yeah. So, what we'll be doing in this episode, should we ever actually start this episode? Because <laughs> I think we've been rambling for about a quarter of an hour now. <laughs> we'll look at what Stephen Moffat's had to say about the next ep- eight episodes and what we've had so far, mm. and perhaps try and draw a few conclusions of our own without actually going into spoiler territory. Mm. So, what I should do then is actually read. Stephen Moffat's previews of the eight episodes in question, and then we'll perhaps talk about what he said, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> right. You're going to do this in a Scottish accent? Och, no. No. Oh, fair <laughs> Are you technically allowed to quote another magazine when you work for Starburst? It's a podcast, right? Okay. I mean, in podcasts, they actually... We've got the Doctor Who theme as our music, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're going to get, you know, criminal proceedings against us because we've read out a few lines from Stephen Moffat. Uh, you know, there's laws about being able to quote stuff. Mm. You can quote up to, you know, when you're doing mm. film reviews and stuff. And this is the way magazines are allowed to use photographs these days. Mm. Uh, there are, sort of reasonable use. Yeah, yeah. Uh, editorial content, that kind of thing. Mm. I don't think Debbie's going to argue us with this. Uh, oh, don't be so silly, Simon. <laughs> right, he's given them as episodes one to eight, even though some people still consider them as episodes seven to 14. But for the sake of this, let's go with one to eight because they're going to be the first to eighth episodes of the run. Mm. For episode one, he says, <clears throat> God, this writing's weird. It's white on black, so it's hard to pick up. Stephen Moffat says, One day this episode will have a title I like, and on that day I will gladly share it with you. One of his things in production notes is he has a bit of a game with the fans about coming up with the episode titles. You know, Russell T. Davis always used to not come up with all of them very early. He'd drop little hints, wouldn't he? Mm. Yeah, and he would drop you like an episode title once a month Mm. so that by the time you got to the series, you'd kind of built up a picture of it. 
In fact, Rossity Davis, you were right when you said Stephen Moffat doesn't give much away. He doesn't. No. He's very, very good with that, and I like that. Mm. Mm. Anyway, this is the interesting stuff, and then we'll talk about this, because he goes on to say, Till then, uh, know that it has been brilliantly directed by Who First Timer, Colm McCarthy, and is very nearly finished. We've packed Colm off with a camera to pick up a few extra moments because, well, you'll see. Uh, this one began in a car in New York with Marcus Wilson, which is the producer, saying, mm. why don't we do a proper urban thriller? Well, here, says Stephen Moffat, I hope it is a proper urban thriller starring a man in a frock coat and a bow tie and quiff from space. I'm sorry about my reading slow. It's really difficult. Can you see that? It, I think I got a dodgy copy somewhere. Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> but here's the thing I wanted to bring up. He says urban thriller. Mm. Do you know what? Stephen Moffat has, in the sort of two and a half years, I guess you'd say it is, that he's been in charge of Doctor Who. You know, Russell T. Davis's thing was the urban thriller, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Rose and Aliens yeah. of London, yeah. Rise of the Cybermen, all and everything, all urban thrillers. And Stephen Moffat has gone off on his own tangent and completely avoided that, really. Can you think of a single Stephen Moffat that's kind of an urban thriller, really? Mm. Trying to no, not in Para 3, no. No, just Earth-based. That's as yeah, close as it gets. As opposed yeah. to an urban thriller, yeah. where you're sort of around and about in the city in the same way as you not were really. in, say, Partners in Crime. Mm, no. There isn't really one, not at all, as far as I can... So this is this is kind of to me Stephen Moffat saying, "Okay, let's go into Russell T Davis territory and see how our version, yeah, pans out." Right, we've seen the the trailer that came at the end of the Snowman, and we've got Westminster Bridge, is it, with the yeah, Doctor on a, on motorbike. a motorbike? Yeah, yeah. pretty cool. That's retro crash helmet. Mm. That's the urban thriller episode, mm. right? That's what I was thinking. Do you think? What else? Did we see anything else in there that we can sort of... I'm trying to... Well, it's obviously the contemporary Jenna Louise, isn't it? Well, mm. I reckon contemporary Jenna Louise throughout all eight episodes. Right. You know, I've seen speculation saying, and I'm not sure whether this was serious or not, but I've seen speculation from people saying, is she going to die at the end of every episode? And <laughs> oh, then he finds yes. a new one at the start of the next episode after that. I think some people think that might actually happen. Well... No. No. He's had the one from the future. He's had the one from the past. Mm. <laughs> and now he's going to get the one from the present. And she's going to be the one that's throughout these eight episodes, isn't she? I think so. Mm. <clears throat> We'd get a bit wearing after a while, wouldn't it? Yeah, if she died at the end of every episode. We wouldn't get any sense of jeopardy, would you? Oh, it doesn't matter. She's dead. Yeah. Just dig up another yeah. one next week. And they should have called her Kenny. They call it the Groundhog series. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, you know, what I said a couple of weeks ago or last week or whatever, that he's kind of done a bit of a Christmas carol on her character. Mm. And however it resolves, to my mind, that's it. He's kind of, he's shown her in the future, he's shown her in the past, and now we're going to have a sustained run of her from the present. Mm. Mm. And that seemed obvious to me, straight from Asylum of the Daleks, really, that he might be doing that. Yeah, without jumping right ahead, except I'm jumping right ahead. Uh, okay, we'll not <laughs> like listen. you did there. But you talk. <laughs> Clara's birth date. Did you see that? Yeah, twenty third of November. November. Yeah. So does that mean it's all going to be resolved in this special? Might be. 
Mm. Might just be a nod of the head in the same way as Verity and Sydney were a nod yeah. of the head in human nature. Yeah. Might just be that. But it might might well be. Mm. Do you know, um, I read something the other day about the 26th of March. Right. Uh, which is the eighth anniversary of the series returning. All right. Because that came back on the 26th of March in 2005. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was like the 26th of March falls on a Saturday. So I'm wondering if this run will be time to start on the 26th of March. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be that. I just... Some, I read something the other day about 26th of March. Can't remember what it was. Should have done my homework better before we came and started this podcast, eh? <laughs> it is New Year's Day. Yeah. <clears throat> um, anything else about episode one? Urban thriller. Oh, we know... Well, we There's three know... There's been rumours, haven't there? A little bit about what the enemy might be yes. in mm. some respects in this first episode. And without giving anything away... You know, it's the... Stephen Moffat likes to do his... What's the best way of describing it? His enemies are... In a threat. Well, they're kind of a nebulous thing. Oh, okay. They're kind of a... Yeah, not so much an inner threat. Sort of um, something familiar, but turned on its head. Given a twist, Mm. yeah. He would take things that are in and of themselves, the kind of thing that would spook a kid, like the statues... Yeah, Autons. Pardon? Living Plastic. No, uh, well, Ross T. Davis brought those back. Oh, I see what you're saying, right. No, yeah. I'm talking Stephen Moffat specifically. Vashti yeah. Narada. Yeah, right? I'm just saying Shattings. as an example of something mm. familiar that is... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, we're going specifically into Stephen oh, okay. Moffat here. Yeah. He did the shadows that yeah. eat yeah. you. He did the statues that move. He did the... Gas mask children. Yeah, and he did the uh, thing that's under the bed. And he did the mm-hmm. cracks in the wall. Yeah. And this is another one of those, basically. Although, you know what? I think he's kind of run out of ones that are specifically childhood fears to do. So he's done a twist on, you know, insofar as we're aware, he's mm-hmm. done a twist on that sort of a theme. And one that, to me, kind of ties in with The Empty Child and Silence in the Library. Mm. But we shan't say any more than that. No. But could prove very interesting. And to me, what will prove interesting will be how he um, sort of makes that corporeal. Because you know how he likes to do the invisible monsters and make a flesh and blood version of them. Like, for example, the skeleton in the spacesuit. Mm -hmm. Mm. I'd be interested to see if he does a skeleton in the spacesuit in episode one. Because otherwise, the threat in episode one is going to be a bit nebulous. Mm. Going back to what I was saying before. Anyway, that's a curious one, <clears throat> and certainly, sh- cer- certainly, certainly, <laughs> certainly should be interesting to see what kind of a spin Stephen Moffat does on a Rusty Davis type storyline. Mm. Are there any? I can't remember. I know they've released cast quite a few names of cast, but I can't remember if there's any. <coughs> Specifically mentioned for that one? No, I don't think there is. Not for episode one. Probably there will be. And mm-hmm. when it gets nearer the time, we'll find out. I can't think of anybody specifically that's been mentioned in terms of that episode. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing Stephen Moffat likes to do, though. He likes to do episodes that revolve around just the regulars, doesn't he? Mm, yeah. Very often. And even sometimes 
you know, Angels in Manhattan, Angels Take Manhattan was quite a good example of him bringing in a couple of fairly well-known actors and then basically giving them one scene and not much to do. Yeah. In fact, 11th Hour, think of Annette Crosby mm. in 11th Hour. Mm. When that casting was announced, uh, not just her, but what's the face from Peep Show? Um, yes. Um, trying to think of the name. Yeah. Yeah. But you're thinking, he's got Annette Crosby, he's got this woman from Peep Show, they're going to have fairly significant roles. Yeah. And Nina Watcher, is that yeah. what she's called? Yeah. And these are all fairly well-known mm. people. Yeah. And yet they're all like, tiny little cameos mm, mm. and that was you know that's that, Stephen that, that, Moffat that was proof of how we got used to the Russell T thing mm. was as soon as you saw Annette Crosby's character you thought oh she's going to be coming back every now and again every time that Amy goes home yeah and you, and also you're thinking you know she's going to be a funny character throughout the whole episode yeah whereas in actual fact she had what one scene was it yeah did she oh, even she, have a second scene I, I can't remember so, no. No. no she's just there in a tiny little cameo <laughs> You know, but that's how Stephen Moffat does it. Mm. So if you're thinking ahead to what's coming up, you've got to bear in mind what he's done in the past. And so this episode one, I think it's pretty much, you know, I'm not saying there's not going to be anybody else in it, but it's pretty much the focus is going to be completely on the Doctor and Clara, isn't it? It's lovely these less is, less is more characters because you think about Sally Sparrow, these amazing characters that just appear once. And, and Brian only appeared twice, didn't he? I know that was Chris Chibnall, that wasn't there. Yeah, but that's okay. But it's within this era, isn't it? And all these little flashes of wonderful oh, characters that you just all, want more yeah, of. Yeah, but that's always been true, going right back to the start, really, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm not saying... Look at the Keys of Mariners, right? Mm. And the girl and the boy in that. They were brought in... I can't remember the names, but, you know, the son and the daughter, or the son and the daughter and her boyfriend of... Um, George Kalouris's character. Mm. The other ones that join him on the search in the Keys of Mariners. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. They, they were brought in to be pseudo-companions in that story because that story was going to split everybody up and send them off. So you needed more than just the three regular companions. Mm. So basically, that's a story with five companions. Mm. But you know what I'm saying? Right from the very start, there have always been people who could have been companions because that's just the way the drama works. Mm. You know? Should we move on to episode two? Yes. Otherwise, this is going to be another mammoth episode. <laughs> Especially with my really slow reading. Episode two. One day, this episode will have a title. The running theme here. Yeah, this yeah. is Stephen Moffat's little game with a reader. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know the form. Uh, this is Neil Cross's second script, but the first one you'll see. Neil Cross, he's the guy who did... Was it called Luther? Yes. What else has he done? It's still called Luther. Okay, he did a programme called Luther. <laughs> yeah, there's a new series coming out soon of Luther. Oh, is there? Yeah. Oh, and that'll be Neil Cross <laughs> again then. Oh, that's Neil Cross. Anyway, he's done two episodes in this half series. Mm -hmm. You know, after Chris Chibnall did two in the first, now mm. you've got Neil Cross doing two here, and also you've got Mark Gatiss doing two here. So with two from Stephen Moffat, that's like eight episodes, and three quarters of those eight episodes are just three writers. Yeah. And because he's doing this single episode thing rather than two-parters, it's weird. But now you're Very suddenly odd. getting, you know, two episodes by the same writer yeah. that are completely distinct from one another Yeah. within just a few days or a couple of weeks or something. Very odd. Anyway, he says, all shot now and we've just seen the first edit from Farron Blackburn and I think you'll laugh and cry and air punch. 
glorious. The brief for Neil was this. You know how the Doctor always promises amazing, awesome wonders to his companions, then gets them stuck down a tunnel being attacked by <laughs> a mutant dog or something? Um, let's deliver something amazing and awesome. And that's all he says about it. Episode two. That really whets the appetite, doesn't it? Wow, amazing and awesome in an episode two. That was Dinosaurs mm. on a Spaceship last time we talked about it. Mm, mm. He doesn't give anything else away. So I think we're going to have to skip past that one, really, aren't we? Mm. Are you expecting something of the scale of Wedding of River Song or something like that with the amount of spectacle and that kind of stuff? They're going to throw everything at the screen, do you think? I don't think we're going to get anything like that again, to be honest. No. Alien planet. <clears throat> sure, it could be an alien planet. You never know. Stephen Moffat seems to do amazing alien planet. Amazing and awesome, though. Hmm. For something to be an amazing and awesome, it's got to be dinosaurs on a spaceship. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you know, it could be anything. Hmm. It's so unspecific. It could be, you know, an alien invasion of the Leaning Tower of Pizza, <laughs> and that could still be. Amazing you heard it here awesome. first. <laughs> and, um, it could be an alternative universe where Fern Cotton didn't get a career. Oh well. <sighs> Stop get, tempting me with impossible things. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, come on. Moving on to episode three. Mm. Uh, love the title, says Stephen Moffat, without revealing it. Thinking about it right now. Ooh, nice title. Mark Gatiss is about to explode fanboy hearts. But enough about his personal life. <laughs> uh, this is a cracker of an episode. <laughs> This is a cracker of an episode in the grand tradition, brilliantly directed by Douglas McKinnon. And you know what? It's all shot and cut and done. Small matter of adding some FX and music and sound, but let's call this finished for the purposes of this column. It's in the can. Mm. And that's all he says about it. Douglas McKinnon is a bit of a fave of yours, isn't he? Yeah, I'm just trying to work out... Right, he doesn't say... I'm just looking forward to the other Mark Gators episode and he doesn't say which way around they are but we do mm. know quite a bit about the two Mark Gators episodes. Is that the Rani episode? There's Simon being funny. Yeah. Are you funny? Yeah, bless him. Are you funny? Look at him. Are you funny? <laughs> are you funny? <laughs> we know about the two Mark Gators episodes and I think I know which one is coming first so we can say that we've seen bits of it in the Next Time trailer and they are likely to be the ice, the sea, and the inside of the submarine. Right. And this will feature David Warner. And, yes. um, oh God, can't remember the actor's name. The one who turns up in the trailer. Really good actor. Doug Ray Scott? No. No, 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 not Doug Ray Scott. He's in one of the Neil Cross ones. Oh, is he? Oh, well, yeah, I yeah. did wonder. Right. Um, no. Oh, yes. Name. Yeah. You know who I mean in the trailer. Yeah. Really good actor. Yeah. He's in this as well. And, um, well, now this is vaguely spoilerific, but we've actually talked about it on this podcast mm. before, and Matt Smith's even talked about it. Mm. So I think one particular listener will be very, very excited about this one. <clears throat> well, okay, then. Here you go. If, you know, what we think is right is right, then this could be the episode with the Ice Warriors in it. Jenny shirt is now fangasming, jumping around in her room <laughs> listening to this and exploding in lots of fantastic ways. Now, obviously, we don't know the Ice Warriors are going to be in it, and we no. certainly didn't see any Ice Warriors in the next time trailer. No. Of course not. 
unless they've changed them so much that we couldn't recognize mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Uh, we've not seen any production photos of Ice Warriors or anything. So there's nothing to say that the Ice Warriors will definitely be in the series at all, let alone in this episode. Mm. But Matt Smith drops some major hints about the Ice Warriors oh, coming up. And I think that people would expect it to be in a Mark Gatiss story. Okay. Out of the writers. I who really are... want Mark Gatiss to pull something out of the hat. Mm. I really want to love one of mm. his stories. Yeah, you know, I was going to bring that up. I was going to say Chris Chibnall surprised us. Yeah. Proved something to us in the first half of this series. And to my mind, the one in the second half of this series who has a similar job to do is Mark Gatiss, isn't it? Mm. Because, you know... <sighs> like Simon said, you want him to do well because I, I think he comes across really well as a person. Yeah. I've watched... Uh, he's done a couple of series on uh, horror movies for the BBC mm. and they're yeah. really, really good. Um, he gets it, doesn't every he? Time his yeah. episodes and he's come a real, up, real ambassador for the series as yeah. well. Yeah. But every time his episodes come up, they kind of confound you by just not being. I don't what think they anything's be. been as strong since the un- Unquiet Dead. Mm. And you know, to give him his due, that was back in series one, and probably there was more input from Russell T. Davis in that mm. than he's had input in any of his other episodes. Yeah. Mm. So you know, it could be that the reason why that episode was so good was because of that. Mm. I think I may be on my own on being a sort of a ambassador for night terrors i really like that story i like it yeah but it just didn't quite do it you know what i'm saying no it just wasn't quite what it could have been it worked for me yeah no no i'm not saying it was bad but (laughs) but what we could really do with is we want a barnstormer yeah we want these two episodes from mark gators to blow us away now don't we yeah or scare the bejesus out of us and you know Stephen Moffat says, nice title, and he bangs on about it a bit. Yeah. Mm. So obviously they know what this episode is going to be called, and they've known for a while. Mm. Uh, would we like to speculate? We've got If we've got Ice Warriors, mm. and it's set in a submarine, and we've already seen the shot of the sea with ice on it, maybe something like Ice Waters, which also would kind of be a nod of a head to Waters of Mars in a certain way. Mm. You know, just... That would be interesting as well, of, of whether they he does make any kind of reference to Waters of Mars. I don't think he will. No. Possibly he could make a reference to what Waters of Mars made a reference to. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, which I suppose is what you meant. Well, in, in as much as when Waters of Mars was set, that it was talked like the Ice Warriors would a long, long gone. Well, I'm quite interested to see if the things we've said do happen. I'm quite interested because we've sort of been aware that the Ice Warriors could be in this and it being in a submarine for a while Mm. and the trailers kind of confirmed the submarine bit and what it did was it also had that shot of the glacier on the water right I got that right didn't I there's a shot of it in the trailer I'm sure there was a shot this again okay I'm (laughs) I'm pretty sure there was a shot of like a glacier on the water right yep so I'm just wondering if maybe because of the ice warriors thing because the first time we saw them was in the ice you know it's going to tie in yeah. that way somehow yeah yeah and maybe they will be manipulating the ice in this mm. who knows because they did the whole weather manipulation thing in seeds of death right yeah yep. and you know how mark gatiss likes to look back to the past in looking to the future maybe you'll tie up but ice. then you've had snow in the snowman 
Isn't that mm. a little bit similar? Well, no more similar than, you know, Love Saving the Day in Closing Time and Night Terrors. Okay. Mm. And those were both in the same half of the series. Mm. Snowmen is separated from whatever this is going to be by several months. Yeah. Now, I just wonder if Mark Gatiss is going to do a, okay, let's have the Ice Warriors manipulating ice. Yeah. which reminds us of their first appearance mm. when they came out of the ice. Yeah. Let's have them manipulating the weather to manipulate the ice, which kind of reminds us of their second appearance. So do you know what I mean? It could be a real fanboy. I'm I'm getting shades of the moon base. Yeah, 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 because because that was a running theme throughout Patrick yeah. Troughton's time, yeah. Yeah. that the isolated base would in some way be controlling something to do with the weather or, mm. you know... Mm human interaction mm. but you know what i'm saying mm. in the seeds of death they went out with those globe things to spread out the foam and whatnot you know all i'm saying is mark gatiss's episode is going to refer back heavily to 60s doctor who it looks like mm. we don't know but right let's <clears throat> and we'd like to see how they've designed them as well mm. if 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 it's the if it's the ice warriors yeah 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 because i don't think they need a lot doing to them Maybe maybe make them a little bit more agile and a bit more articulated, maybe. Well, they definitely need to do that because the ice warriors <laughs> from the 60s were, oh, shoddy. <laughs> they look beautiful in pictures, but my God, once you see them walking around in that... They look awesome base. on the front of a Target book, but not that great in moving no. action. <laughs> no. A lot of oh, things God. look great on the front of Target books. Mm. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, there's some pretty shoddy stuff going on there. <coughs> Episode four... Mm. Uh, I can't even read this at all now. Episode four, Neil Cross's first script, but the second one you'll see. And you won't be in any doubt why we... Mark, can you see what that says? (laughs) (laughs) This is terrible. (sighs) Right. Okay. And you won't be in any doubt why we rugby tackled him on the way out of the door and cranked another story out of him. Spooky and clever, and even a little bit romantic, with some gorgeous work uh, from New to Who director Jamie Payne. This one is finished. No, hang on, it isn't. We've got a shot to pick up. Damn, damn, I thought we were on a roll. Right, two things about this. One, I wonder if this is the Doug Ray Scott one. And if it is, that will be the one that's set in Bletchley Park, is that right? Am I getting that right? Or, I've no, I'm not sure if it's on that. I really don't know. No, I'm not sure if it's Bletchley Park or not, but it's kind of a 1940s thing. World right. War Two thing, yeah. I think, from the costumes and what have you. Uh, Wouldn't that be the bit on West, Westminster Bridge? Because isn't the doesn't it look slightly um, 1940s? Yeah, might explain the sort of retro motorcycle gear. Yeah, that's what wearing. I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, it could be then. Yeah. Could be. Mm. Oh, I just in my head, urban thriller. I just thought on the motorbike on Westminster Bridge. Right. But yeah, you could be right. Mm. But so if that's the Doug Ray Scott episode, we don't really know anything more about it than that Doug Ray Scott's in it. Yeah. But um, what was the other thing yeah, I was going to say coat. from what he said there? Oh, <coughs> yes. The fact that he said there's a shot to pick up in there. Yeah. And the fact that he said on one of the other episodes that there was a shot to pick up too, which was the opening episode, I think, right? Mm. Mm. So he's talking about them picking up single shots for episodes. Okay, now picking up single shots is not that unusual, but for him to make a thing about it in the production notes, I mm. know uh, he could be well, you're making thinking a thing an arc of it. connection. Well, yeah, he could yeah. be making a thing of it, 
or he could have just done that inadvertently because he's got his producer's head on and he's thinking oh, there's only this little thing to do and but the fact that he's mentioned it as a kind of running theme in the article makes mm. me wonder just wonder if there's something that's coming up at the end that they want to address throughout the series that they're for some reason weren't able to film when they were actually filming the scripts and have had to drop in mm. whether that could be because maybe it features a certain actor like madame Kaverian. He yep. has to be dropped into the episodes mm. because presumably the Madame Covarian stuff in the first half of series six was all filmed on the same day and then just dropped into yeah. the episodes. I'm just wondering if there'll be something like that. Mm. Something that's dropped in with a particular actor or a particular production design that wasn't finished or whatever, something like that. Mm. I'm not saying that I think that's necessarily the case. Just curiosity mm. and possibility. <clears throat> well, he said going into series seven that it was going to be standalone stories um, without an arc. Mm. And then afterwards, he made kind of a joke. Oh, except, of course, there will be an arc. You just won't see it. Something along <laughs> those right. lines. <laughs> he might even be talking about something that's being set up for season eight or Could beyond. well be. Well, given what I said about the snowmen mm. and the great intelligence, yeah. could well be. Yeah, And, you know, people are, I suppose, still wondering if the flickering lights and the Christmas references in those stories in Series 7 were actually supposed to be leading somewhere. Mm. And if that's the case, possibly that they're still leading somewhere. Mm. So I don't know. I wonder if Moffat's very quietly putting an arc in a similar way to Russell T. Davis with his Bad Wolf. Mm. Because nobody actually realised there was something... You know, by the time of series two, people were looking for it and seeing Torchwood. Mm, yeah. But in those series one episodes, you know, it was a gradual dawning that Bad Wolf was turning up all over the place. Mm. And then people were going back to find the references mm. in earlier episodes. I just wonder if Stephen Moffat is doing something that quietly. Mm. And, you know, really quietly, because Stephen Moffat mm. is the guy you expect to do that. So if he's doing it and people haven't completely twigged... Mm. Go on then, you're going to read us about series episode five. Episode five, yeah. Now, Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Now, oh. that's a title. <laughs> this is the one we talked about <laughs> right. last episode. Go on. And he says, uh, nope, come back down from the window. That booming sound is your own heart. Uh, don't worry, Mark Gatiss hasn't wired your heart with explosives in the night. He's put in brackets. He might, though. Don't let him in your house. Uh, this is the work of Steve Brains Thompson and terrific new director... Uh, Matt King. And yes, this show will do what it says on the tin. Or it will when we've snagged that tiny little scene we haven't quite got to yet. Ah, another reference to a tiny pickup shot. Mm. Mm. So there you go. Journey to the centre of the TARDIS will do what it says on the tin. So the fans have been clamouring <coughs> for this for years. Yeah, and particularly since, you know, they have been clamoring for this for years but mm. particularly since Moffat took over it's become a real thing mm. that fans want them to do a bottle episode in the TARDIS yeah and you know Doc Amy's choice technically was a bottle episode in the TARDIS except of course it wasn't even remotely that in real terms and the doctor's wife <clears throat> was by no stretch of the imagination a bottle episode in the TARDIS no but had that kind of an element to it, that kind of a tone. It was the first time they'd really 
gone much beyond the control room in the new series. Absolutely. You had like David Tennant trying on his new coat and what have you in mm. the in the Christmas invasion. But and that was that was just, about it. And that was just the console room redressed. Yeah. Yeah. So they hadn't actually built anything else of the TARDIS till the Doctor's mm. life. Well, in this, presumably, their entire sets budget is, you know, entirely just TARDIS. So this episode will have been entirely filmed in studio, mm. presumably. So we don't know anything about it other than... You think they're going to do the old trick like they did for the Doctor's Wife, or they're going to revisit the old desktops, as they like to call them? Possibly. You know, we uh, those sets are still around. Mm. Mm. Uh, would save on the budget of having to build more set depends what the story is Mm. Mm. because that's the thing we can't have any kind of a clue as to what the story is Mm. not having any kind of you know all we know and we've only just found out is that there's an episode called journey to the center of the tardis yeah now presumably it won't just be those two actors but then again will it Mm. yeah because I find it, I find it hard to imagine somebody attempting to sustain an entire forty-five minutes with just two actors, particularly as, you know, <clears throat> here's the thing: you can do a play with two parts in it, right? Yeah. Waiting for Godot is almost just two parts. You can do a play with two parts in it, but at the start of the play, those two characters need to be new to the audience. And you learn about them through the play so that at the end you have a conclusion on what the author wants to say about those two characters. But both the Doctor and Clara are established characters by the time we get to the start of this episode. Mm, mm. So unless you really want to do something really, really major with those two characters so that come the end of the 45 minutes they have been altered and pretty radically... Mm you're not going to do a bottle episode with just those two. Mm. So I suspect that the TARDIS will have been invaded in some way. Mm. And this journey to the centre of the TARDIS will be to, you know, resolve the story of how it's been invaded. And also this extra scene. Yeah. Which, as you say, will involve another actor. Well, the thing about pickups like that is you can't do it on any sets that have been built specifically for that episode because those sets will have been struck. So if they're doing a pickup scene on this, it's got to be in the console room or outside of the TARDIS. Mm. So I'm just looking forward to seeing more of the TARDIS. I mean, I love The Doctor's Wife. I think it's a great episode, but I know they were constricted on the uh, budget that they had, but the bits of the TARDIS you did see were pretty uninspiring, really. It was just, well, it was just kind of the tunnels from Alien, I yeah. guess, mm-hmm. in a way. The, the same tunnel being shot from different angles, really. Yeah, That's yeah. about it. Well, in this, presumably, they've got budget and space and time to show us rooms. See what he did there. Pardon? A space, space and, and time. time yeah. <clears throat> and presumably you know for almost all the episodes as an effects budget so whatever they do do with the sets can be augmented with cgi you just said do do whatever they do do <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah but anyway this is in some ways the most interesting episode mm. most intriguing mm. written by stephen thompson who did curse of the black spot 
mm. which a lot of people would turn their noses up at. But then again, he's His Sherlock old. was pretty good. Yeah, he did the final Sherlock of series two, mm. which was you know the one that everybody was talking about for yeah. weeks afterwards. <laughs> so you know, give him the keys to the TARDIS and let him run loose with whatever he wants to put in there. Mm. You know, I think that episode, particularly given that he did write such a what will turn out to be complicated story in that Sherlock. Now, if he kind of goes down the same route with this Doctor Who, in that it's not just a straightforward story where there's a monster in, you know, the engine room and the Doctor has to go and, you know, turf the monster out. Mm. It's not going to be that straightforward, mm. right? So the mind that could put all that stuff together in that last episode of Sherlock, mm. given a bottle episode in the TARDIS, just do something pretty special with it. Yeah, you've got to think it's going to be. Mm. <clears throat> You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Well, I hope so. Mm. I like Curse the Black Spot. I thought for what it was, it it was great. So I'm not one of those people who automatically looks at the name Steve Thompson and thinks, Ugh. Well, we've <laughs> learned from previous experience not necessarily to judge episodes by their authors, have we? We have Haven't learned we? that indeed. Mm. Mm. Mentioning no names. Chibnall. <coughs> <coughs> Right. Episode six. Then. Episode six, yeah. A title to die for. And the second fearful trip into the mind of Mark Gatiss. Tread carefully, there are some dreadful things in there. And yes, it's in the can too. Uh, just the other day, Saul knocked off a lovely little scene and it was done and complete and lovely. A whole episode. Come on, team who? Group hug. Let's do the Yowza dance. <laughs> <laughs> right, this then, if the other Mark Gatiss episode is the submarine one, mm-hmm. this is um, Diana Rigg. Yes. And Rachel Sterling, mm. right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the only other thing we know about that is that it's set in a village by the sea, am I right? I don't think I've even heard that. Oh, really? I think this. I think all I've heard about this is it's these two women playing mother and daughter. Yeah. And Which one's a Ronnie? <clears throat> well, they both are. Oh, okay. <laughs> it gets a bit timey-wimey, obviously. <laughs> uh, but, you know... Uh, village by the sea, maybe possibly set in the past. If it's Mark Gatiss, Whitby, he does like, maybe? yeah, if it's Mark Gatiss, he does like, um, you know, historical settings, doesn't yeah. he? Hmm. You know, I heard a hint that there were going to be two stories consecutively set in Victorian times in this run of episodes. Mm. And there is, uh, in the magazine as well, the guy, Dan Starkey, who plays Strax, does yeah, it? Yeah. Who says he's going to be back for two more episodes yeah I think that's what I read and we did see Strax and Vastra and Jenny in the next time trailer so they're going to be in there somewhere mm. two episodes in Victorian times mm. cons- possibly consecutively possibly not that might have just been to do with the filming I wonder if this yeah. is Victorian could be that <clears throat> I, I suppose you know this is pure pure speculation I could be that one of these stories will start with um, Vastra getting in touch with the doctor and saying we've got trouble come and help mm. and he comes and possibly if it's this one possibly something weird is going on in maybe some village by the sea if I've remembered that right may not have and uh, you know doctor comes to investigate and then he you know, <laughs> I'm talking pure speculation here maybe <laughs> at the end of the episode he gives Vastra and Strax Gets and the Jenny gang back a lift again. back to London in the TARDIS. Yeah, she do. And you know, and as he drops them off, they find there's something going on there too. Who knows? Mm. Who knows? 
just giving out possibilities. Mm. Talents of Wang Chang and Horror of Fang Rock, two consecutive stories with nothing to do with one another. Both set, actually they're set something like three years apart, but mm. to all intents and purposes, you know, both set at the same time. Mm. Mm. So it's not like there wouldn't be precedence for that. Uh, Mark, Dame Diana Rigg. She's brilliant. I think she's a very um, talented actress. And it's not just because I'm a big fan of the Avengers and obviously there was a huge part of the appeal of that was... The very Emma talented catsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Peel, yeah. Um, but no, I think she's um, got that extra something special which I think would lend itself very well to Doctor Who. And I think the chance to do an acting job with her daughter, I think probably just swung it for her, I would think. You know, they, I seem to recall her saying something along the lines of, we've always wanted to work together, but it's just that nothing's ever come up. Yeah. And so here they are. I think she'd been quoted as saying they'd had offers before, but nothing that really grabbed them, and this was something they'd wanted to do. Doctor Who. Mm. In the 50th anniversary year as well. Yeah. You know, I've not mentioned it yet, really, but obviously these episodes are going out in the 50th anniversary mm. year, right? Mm. And, um, oh, God, this guy who's in the trailer, something like Henderson or, oh, God, Liam Cunningham. Right. Mm -hmm. Liam Cunningham, brilliant actor in the trailer and also does pretty top-notch stuff and is well sought after. Doug Ray Scott, who's in the trailer, mm -hmm. you know, who was a villain in one of Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible films. Mission Impossible 2, yeah. And you've got Diana Rigg. And you've got David Warner. Mm. You know, whatever's going on with the budgets in Doctor Who, somehow they are managing to channel it onto the screen. Mm. You know, those last five well, episodes. That was the recession. Sort of, there isn't so much work there for them. So they, they might, well, I don't know how they've done it, but somehow they've managed to take lower budgets mm. and make them look twice as good. Because, mm. you know, dinosaurs on a spaceship followed by a town called Mercy. Mm. Oh, when has Doctor Who ever done anything like that before <laughs> uh, and given that it's the 50th they're obviously pushing the boat out a bit in terms of spectacular mm. and in terms of actors uh, you know I think this run of eight episodes is going to be pretty special really classy yeah I mm. get that impression mm. <clears throat> and Given that it's also the 50th, and given what I said about the snowmen and the great intelligence, I also just wonder if this run of episodes, and we'll get to the episode in a minute, because I don't think he says anything about episode 8 at all, does he? But I just wonder mm. if, because this set of episodes, and they must always have known from the start, is going to tie into the 50th in some way, shape or form, even if just because they're the last thing that happens before we get to the 50th. Mm. He must have had that in mind. He must know that mm. these episodes have got to be a bit special. Mm, mm. So I'm just expecting throughout all eight stuff's of these gonna episodes. Stuff's going to get put in place and it's going to lead up to it. And not just stuff being put in place, but yeah. On my left-hand side, I've got Mark saying <laughs> stuff will be put in place. And on my right-hand side, I've got Simon saying nods. And yes, both things. Yeah, This run of eight episodes will probably either, you know, ostentatiously <laughs> or very subtly mm. reference the past quite a bit mm. perhaps more than we're really used to and yeah it'll be like a jigsaw puzzle or a game of chess where things are moving towards an end game 
which will come up in episode eight, but give us the synopsis for episode seven first. Okay, episode seven, yeah. um, still in production, Neil Gaiman's new spine chiller, directed by Stephen Wolfenden. You of already course. know they're a Cyberman. What you don't know is that there's something else, a cyber something else. And oh, they are disgusting. Gaiman, what goes on in your mind? Never stop telling me. <laughs> uh, cyber toilets. We're going to finally find yeah. out what a Cyberman does they when Cyberman do needs to do it. Uh, yeah, of course, Cybermen. And some kind of a castle. And I wonder if this is set in Victorian times, then. I suppose it could be. Have we seen anything that suggests it might be otherwise? Is, it, is this the episode where we've seen clips with the Doctor with stuff on his face? Mm. Cyber oh, yeah. stuff on his face. Could be. Hmm. I don't know, because I don't... Like I say, you know, I've been avoiding too much it was speculation. In the, it was in the... Um... Coming soon trailer. Yeah. Yeah, but was he in shot with that? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I've, was he in shot with that with the Cybermen? Oh, I don't know if the Cybermen were in the same shot, but he def- definitely had some sort of silvery stuff. Oh, no, no, no. I know about yeah, the silvery yeah. stuff on mm. his face. Mm. And to me, it looks like, <clears throat> well, it looked like the kind of makeup they do Terminator style mm-hmm. when they show part mm. of Arnold Schwarzenegger's yeah. face having come off to reveal mm. the robot underneath, right? Yeah. Mm. So, <clears throat> potentially A those shots could be from the Cyberman one mm-hmm. and we're seeing partially converted versions of all these people and their inner Cyberman's coming out. Mm. If if Neil Gaiman is going down a sort of 10th planet kind of a route. Right. But given that Stephen Moffat says we're going to see a cyber something else that's really disgusting, he could be talking about partially converted Cybermen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not like we've not seen that before. No. The way he says something else, something new or whatever, makes mm. it sound like it's going to be... You know, something along the lines of the Cyber Shades or the Cyber King. Mm, mm. <clears throat> so something that, instead of taking the Cyberman's mythology back, takes the Cyberman mythology forwards. So I'm just wondering if these shots of the stuff on their face might be to do with this nebulous menace we were talking about for episode one. Mm. The urban thriller. Maybe. Maybe. Because I don't know, I, I could be completely spouting rubbish here, but the nebulous threat, inverted yeah. commas, mm. that we were talking about, mm. could possibly be in the same could way... Tie in with that. Yeah, in the same way as the... Um, who do it's Nana jeans in Empty Child. Yeah. Put gas masks on everybody's faces. Mm. Right? Imagine something like that where it's putting, you know, mm. metal plate on everybody's head. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering if those shots were from that story, actually, instead. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I've got great faith in Neil Gaiman. I think he's a fantastic writer, and I'm just really hoping that he's going to do something really special with the Cybermen because we've said this before, you know, they've been somewhat lacking, certainly since well, the series came back. I was back. saying Probably that in the small clip you see of them, there's um, just in the manner, in the behaviour of the movement, mm. that the suits look far more... Figure hugging and and there's, it's much more less robot like, a bit more agile. They're a bit more agile, a bit more articulated. Mm. There's a lot of articulation there, and also you see them being quite aggressive as well. Mm. The movement, and, and yeah. also they got mobile phones. We did see a production <laughs> shot where one of the Cybermen was texting. <laughs> <laughs> That was just a behind-the-scenes uh, shot of yeah. a Cyberman actor texting while he was uh, off-camera. Got me excited, what, So don't take me too seriously there, I don't think I don't think they're going to be plodding around like they have been. There won't be, like, steam... Shum, a bit shum, more shum, stealthy. Stuff. 
Yeah, but they look like they could mean some business. Actually, they're not that different, though. I, really? I don't think they are that I think different. It's, it's a lot more. Um, I don't know how to describe it. There's a lot of the the. Um, Oh God! What do they call it? To me, I should I put it this way? To me, the change is like the change was between the Cybermen in Earthshock and the Cybermen in Silver Nemesis. Really? No, I think it's quite considerable. Personally, do you really? Mm. The helmets? The helmets aren't no, but if you look at the bodies, they are really quite quite different. Really? Yeah. There's there's no um. Was it preformed plastic? Is that what they call it? Yeah. Yeah, but you look at the bodies on the Earthshock and Silver Nemesis side, men. They're actually quite different, but the same. Well, there's no big breastplates or anything like that. Everything is almost figure hugging. Yeah, but the do you know the breastplates on the Cyber Cybermen were <laughs> fairly figure hugging. Do you know? Mm, maybe. Mm, no, I beg to differ. I think they look really, really quite different. Didn't. The more I look at them, the more yeah. I think, oh. Maybe I should look at two pictures side by side, but yeah. I have to be completely honest and say I can barely see that much really? of a difference at all. No. Like the- On Tinternet, somebody had rather cleverly done a little uh, mash-up and they'd repainted one of the new Cybermen we're going to see in Iron Man colours, which looked oh, quite yeah. cool. It oh, does. Yeah. Do, yeah, they do look very Iron Man. I think that's probably where the inspirations come from. It's yeah, so but then close. Do you not think the Cyber Cybermen look very Iron Man too? Uh, retro Iron Man, maybe. But retro still, Iron Man. Well, bear in mind, Joe, you're talking to a, a comic book geek here, so it's going <laughs> to completely well, outgeek you. All right. Like another that. way to put it is the Cybus ones look like they're in a casing. Whereas mm. these ones actually look like um, more like a cyber map in that they look articulated, almost skeletal. Mm. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying about the articulation. Mm. It's part of them, right? But I think that's yeah. fairly superficial. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, yeah, know. of course it's superficial. Yes, it's cosmetic in that respect. And that's uh, what I'm saying. Right. So it's only a slight cosmetic change, <laughs> and basically the overall feel of them looks to me the same. But oh, we'll right, see. okay. And who do we know is going to be in this episode? I know Warwick Davis has been tweeting saying that he was filming with Cybermen, so I'm pretty certain he's going to be in it. Ooh. And who else? I'm just trying to work out who else would be in the same I don't episode. know. I didn't even know that. Mm. So you've spoiled something for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I actually had read that and just forgotten. That's cyber Dwarves. Is that what they... No. Is that his invention? Is it Cyber dwar- Cyber Dwarves? Cyber Ewoks? Who knows? Cyberwalks. Um, you know... Uh, Disgusting. And this is completely by the by. We know what the episode's called, right? Stephen Moffat doesn't bring it up, but it is fully out there in the public domain, so there's no point in not saying it. Unless you two think I shouldn't. I think I've heard it. I think I've heard it. Do you think I shouldn't say it? Well, is it official, or is it the... Uh, somebody accidentally left a script on a, in a taxi. Somebody picked it up. It's completely out in the public domain. Did that actually happen, or was that? It was, no, that it looked, actually happened. It looked like mm. a forgery to me. The picture I saw. No, somebody else said that, and it was like you know, it only looks like a forgery because you want it to be a forgery. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You can say that about most pictures. Yeah, but why isn't like the, the whole Matrix, story out there then? If they really did, if that really did happen, why isn't the whole story out there on the web, or is it? Well, it probably is. I don't know. All oh, right. Okay. I don't know. I don't go to those sorts of places. But the title was like tweeted all over the place. Right. Okay. Something so of, now we've talked about the title for three minutes. Am I going to say it? Go on then. Something of the Cybermen, isn't it? The Last Cyberman. Oh, The Last Cyberman. Right. Which I think... Uh, 
you know, when I first heard that, before we'd seen any production shots, I'm thinking sort of Croton from the cartoon strips. Right. Mm-hmm. It'll be a story about a single Cyberman. But as it's not a story about a single Cyberman, and putting two and two together, it's called The Last Cyberman. And Stephen Moffat says we're going to see a new kind of cyber something that we've not seen before. Right. I'm just wondering if the Cybermen are building something to be the ultimate Cyberman and it all goes horribly wrong. You know, maybe a story along those lines. Yeah. Mm. Who knows? Can't say. And then we move on to episode eight. Yeah, it's the last one. Um, so uh, he says, still shooting. And oh, this is a good title. I think one that will thrill you a lot and worry you more. Yes, I think you will be just a tiny bit worried where we might be going with this one. I'd say more, but then you'd be less worried. And frankly, what's the point in that? <laughs> <clears throat> Typical Stephen Moffat mm. says nothing and waffles on. Um, but he talks about the title again, doesn't he? Yeah. Going back to what I was saying in that Snowman episode about the great intelligence... And if that does move forwards, can anybody see that not moving forwards? Do you think that was a one-off in the Christmas know. special? Do you think it could possibly well, he's, he's be? kind of hinting there. You're going to end up with some kind of mother of all cliffhangers before we go into the, the big special at the end of the year. Yeah. And, you I know, th- if it is a nod, if the Great Intelligence thing was a nod, then that would suggest it is a one-off. But it's not, is it? Because he says... he picks the card out and looks at the words great intelligence and says, strikes a chord. I seem to remember that. Mm. You know, if it was just a one-off appearance for the great intelligence, Mm. he'd say, you know, great intelligence, seen them off before. Mm. You know, uh, the way... Having said that, though, I mean, if you're going to have this massive um, special for the anniversary, are you really going to have... The great intelligence? As the no, 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 gonna, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. No, what I'm seeing is, right, great intelligence. <laughs> I think I remember them. To me, that definitely, definitely says they're coming back. That mm. is the first engagement in what is going to be a major encounter. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Stephen Moffat will apparently wrap up the great intelligence storyline in episode eight right okay so that going into the 50th you've got to all right here's a great example for you at the end of series five Mm. he wraps up the cracks Mm storyline cracks in time storyline and you've got the tardis has exploded which is what caused the cracks and now he's unexploded it and reset the universe and the cracks are gone and that storyline's wrapped up, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well part this, of is, it. this is what I'm saying, Mark. Mm. You've got to the end of a series, <clears throat> and you've got a and you've got a a storyline that's wrapped up, mm. which is not to say that there's not more to do. Yeah. Silence will fall, and mm. why did the TARDIS explode in the first place? Mm. But the bit of the storyline that deals with the cracks being all across time and space, swallowing people, is done. That's dealt with. Mm. Series six, you come on with the Doctor being assassinated by agents of the silence, right? Yeah. And at the end of series six, you've got the end of the storyline at which the Doctor has been assassinated by agents of the silence. And the storyline that deals with the Doctor being assassinated by agents of the silence is wrapped up. But 
you've still got the question of who the silents are and who they're working for. Mm. So, at the end of series five, you've got the question of why the TARDIS exploded. Yeah. And you've got the question of what does silence will fall mean. Mm. And at the end of series six, you've got who are the silents and who are they working for? Because when he says they're not a species, they're a religious group, mm. right? At the top of that religious group has to be some kind of deity or controller. Yeah. So if somebody is controlling that religious group, you know, the snowman says to me, that's going to be the great intelligence. The or silence. possibly the quarks. <laughs> well, but you know what I'm saying? It's a the great intelligence is a flexible enough idea. Mm. It's like um, when the end of time was being made, yeah. before anybody knew what it was going to be called, somebody said they'd read somewhere that it was going to be called Beautiful Chaos. And Beautiful oh, Chaos yeah. was yeah. the Russell, Gary Russell, the Gary Gary Russell, Russell yeah. novel, which featured the Mandragora Helix. Yeah. And the Mandragora Helix is the perfect utterly flexible concept from the classic series that you can bring back into the new series and do absolutely anything you want to do with right because it is just an energy source and so you can make it behave in whatever way you want mm. because the parameters of its behavior have never been defined and exactly the same with the great intelligence it's an intelligent disembodied organism that floats around in space and has mm -hmm. tried to attack Earth. Mm. And when it tries to attack Earth, it uses agents. Mm. Mm. Well, I just used the word agents, right? And what word did I use when describing the silence just now? Agents. Mm. And silence will fall in the TARDIS, that disembodied voice in the TARDIS. Yeah. What does that not remind you of, if not the disembodied voice in the snow globe? To me, that's all wrap tying up. <clears throat> I could be utterly, utterly wrong. Hey, it holds water. I'm not arguing that. Where but, did the uh, balls come from? Just trying to remember. Yeah, the orbs that were inside the Yeti. I think they were just, you know, something that had been physically created to house the energy of the intelligence mm -hmm. or something. But you know what I'm saying? It's a flexible enough concept mm. that you can have the orbs again or not. Mm. Didn't have the orbs in the snowmen. But, you know, it could have been, if he'd have written that story a slightly different way, the snowmen could have had orbs in them. But he chose not to go down that route, which just proves how flexible the concept of the great intelligence can be. So, but what, going back to what I was saying about episode eight and the special, mm. <clears throat> the 50th anniversary special has to stand alone, right? Mm. So at the end of episode eight, uh, this is possibilities, possibilities. At the end of episode eight, you wrap up your great intelligence storyline, say. And episode eight, cliffhangers in some way into a special, or perhaps a series of specials, we don't know, that's going to involve possibly all the doctors coming together to, you know, see off some kind of a threat. So you finish your storyline at the end of series seven, your great intelligence storyline, in the same way you finished off your silence, assassinating the doctor storyline last mm, year, mm. and you're exploding TARDIS causing the cracks in time storyline from the year before and then in the big special you either A ignore that and come back to it afterwards because you've only wrapped up a certain part of that story 
or else you reintroduce that story in such a way that you don't need to know any of the backstory for it to play out. Mm. So the special can either be <clears throat> the <clears throat> big finale to this whole arc. Yes, yeah. Or, and I think it's more likely, it can ignore that arc and tell a completely different story mm. and you come back to the arc afterwards. Yeah. And I, on the balance of things, I think it's more likely that it does that because unless Mo Matt Smith's regenerating in that story mm. and Stephen Moffat's leaving the show after he writes that story, I think Stephen Moffat will want to continue with his inverted commas, great intelligence story arc right up until the moment he and or Matt Smith leaves. Mm. So I think the special will stand completely alone. And I also think it will have Daleks in it in some, because... Uh, I was going to say that because I know you've got this theory on the great intelligence and I think there's a lot of sense in what you're saying there, but to have a special and not have the Daleks in there, I think would be... Oh, no, yes. <clears throat> crazy. Possibly Time Lords and Gallifrey or possibly a renegade Time Lord or... Do you know what I suggested the other day, actually, mm. on a forum? And this was not a suggestion in any Get seriousness. A <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on a... <laughs> oh, you'll be in trouble for that. Hate mail. <laughs> I'm one of them, for God's sake. I'm allowed to. This wasn't a serious suggestion in any way, shape or form. But for an anniversary story, you know, here's just a possibility. If I was in charge of Doctor Who... Mm. And this idea struck me. I'd actually seriously thinking about. I'd actually seriously think about writing it. So I'm not speculating what I think is going to happen, mm. but I'm giving an example of, you know, the kind of thing that Stephen Moffat could do. Right. We, you know, Shada's the famous lost story. Yeah. So there's a huge mythology, a mm -hmm. huge legendary status mm. for this lost story, in spite of the fact that you know we've seen the bits of it. But it's never been shown on telly, right? Right, okay. Mm. So I'm not suggesting you revisit, you know, the Tom Baker's bits from Sharda or do a, you know, a story that utilises them in some way to complete the story. I'm not saying that at all. I can see where you're going is. Take the idea of Sharda, right? Mm. It's a Time Lord prison planet. Mm. And the Time Lords put all their, you know, most infamous criminals, not just Time Lord criminals, but any kind of criminals, in a 50th anniversary story, you kind of want to reference, at the very least, the sort of deepest, darkest, biggest, boldest bits, the longest living bits, the most memorable bits of Doctor Who mythology. Mm. What better way to do that than a secret Time Lord prison planet that exists outside of time and space? Something draws the Doctor to Sharda. So your first part of the episode, your first 20 minutes, is how does the Doctor get to Sharda? Mm. And once he gets there, you know, you can have your Daleks and your Cybermen and you can have somebody akin to, probably not, but akin to the Master or the Rani mm. so that you've got Renegade Time Lord, Legendary Time Lord, Mysterious Lost Hidden Planet. You've got Daleks, whatever. <clears throat> Sharda would be a perfect way to utilize your doctor who mythology right but here's the thing what if somebody who's not supposed to be is running sharda and who steals the first eight doctors out of their time streams and imprisons imprisons them on sharda in isolation causing them to age beyond the point at which they should have regenerated 
because they're out of their time streams and imprisoned on Sharda, mm. which allows <laughs> you to have all your first eight doctors played by actors older than they were when they played the doctors. Mm. Now, your 11th doctor has been made aware of the fact that, you know, perhaps the eight doctors have escaped from their cells but can't get off Sharda because they don't have their TARDISes, but can send him a Time Lord communication cube to mm -hmm. let him know they're there. And the doctor says, well, bugger me, this is too Can't much do for me to own. handle. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go and find number nine and number 10 to help me out. Mm. So not only would you get all 11 doctors or, you know, whichever ones would were, were going to be in it and you wanted to be in it, yeah. but also it would allow for the aging or the differences in the first few. Mm. It would allow for the latter three to come together to resolve the problem. It allows all your mythology from the series that you want to use to be in place because it's a prison planet and you can put anybody and anything on there. And not only that, because you would have the first eight Doctors in a certain amount of isolation, they all get good scenes when you see how that particular Doctor escapes from his particular cell. Mm. And he gets a little scene with, you know, a Wirin or a Zygon or a Dalek or whatever. They all get their moment to shine in a 90-minute special they all come together, so you get the interplay between those classic series Doctors and then the new series Doctors turn up to rescue them. So just like Pat Troughton and John Pertwee and the three Doctors and the five Doctors, you get the classic series Doctors bitching at the new series Doctors and vice versa. <laughs> it writes itself. Mm. You know, I'm not saying that I imagine in a million years that that's what Stephen Moffat's doing. But if you finish a, a great intelligence story arc in episode eight, and then have one final scene at the end of episode eight, mm -hmm. which is just the camera prisoner, you know, uh, yeah. panning across a bunch of prison cells. And you've got somebody playing the first doctor, second doctor, third doctor, Tom Baker, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann. <laughs> what better cliffhanger into your specials than that? Now, presuming that they did decide to go the route of having them all. Uh, how do you feel about the idea of somebody different playing the first three? Obviously, they can't be I've around. No, I've got no issues with it, really. No? Think. No. <clears throat> well, for I've a start, no you, you've got to have Michael Troughton. No, David Troughton, probably. Which Sorry, one Michael. <laughs> I don't know. Which David one? Troughton's <laughs> the one who was in Midnight and the Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah. So I'd David say David, then. He's David, the David also voiced the second Doctor for Paul Mars audio the BBC yeah with Tom Baker um yeah you can find actor to play the first doctor John Pertwee's gonna be tricky though Sean I Pertwee. just I don't know I just feel a bit uncomfortable about <laughs> other people stepping into those roles it's not like the series doesn't have precedence I know I know and uh, the point to me is if you're going to be celebrating 50 years of Doctor Who and you're going to be using previous doctors mm. you either go for it yeah or you don't Yep. And if you go for it, you're celebrating the characters, not just the actors who played them. Mm -hmm. You are celebrating the actors who played them, yes. Mm -hmm. But you're also celebrating the characters. So you... Do you not think that the, the whole character of the Doctor, so much of a Doctor is that actor's personality? They have to, invariably played themselves, don't they? And it is... To a degree, but, you know... I w if I was celebrating all the Doctors, I wouldn't not have the first three. I think, just I think the thing is, it's an all or nothing thing. I, c I think yeah. it'd be very odd if they just had maybe 
the Eighth Doctor. Can you imagine? Here's the here's the thing. And Stephen Moffat is an avowed fan of this story, so you have to take this into account. Mm. Can you imagine the five Doctors without anybody playing the first Doctor if they just ignored the first Doctor? Mm. Mm. You know, the five Doctors. What well, you know title aside <laughs> yeah it was never going to ignore the first doctor mm. in the same way as tom baker said he wasn't going to appear and they still didn't ignore that doctor they still managed to mm. get him in there mm. so if moffat goes that route and does an all the doctors thing he wouldn't ignore the first three doctors just because the actors weren't still alive i don't mm. think he would no uh, particularly what? the number of times we've seen the first and second doctor popping up in his episodes yeah yeah um, you know, the point I was going to make was I don't think I think it will be an all or nothing thing where you'll either have the first Doctor matching up with the 11th or all of them and I think it'll be odd for them to just pick a certain Doctor you know, the 9th or the 10th well potentially uh, it could as just a be Tennant and Smith mm. it but could, that would it just could be a bit be, sad, but I don't really, think, it? yeah that's not really reflecting the 50 years at all no here's another thing um did you see recently they did a thing with Morecambe and Wise where they CGI'd their yeah. faces onto Other right. bodies? Since that came out, people have been speculating, is Matt Smith going to play all 11 Doctors and they're just going to oh CGI the faces onto it? <laughs> I kid you not, people have been saying, is that just what's going to Just as long as Chris Moles isn't involved, I'll be happy. Either that or the Trolls and Tribulations thing that Deep Space Nine did yeah. was brilliant. Can't do it in HD. I was going to say, can't do it in HD. No. no. People no. have been saying that for months and months and probably years. Can't do it in HD. Simple as. You know, there's no two ways about it. Or maybe they That's go into some happen. sort of parallel universe where it goes back to 625 lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even 405 lines. Well, yeah, quite. And what yeah. scenes would you... Oh my god! I mean, black and white, and the picture's really fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's time to wrap this episode. Yeah. Mainly because I am absolutely busting for a pee. Same here. And bit and too asleep, much info, actually, there, guys. But not fall asleep before a pee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, that was our. Have we got time for another quick on the spot for Mark? I know he loves them. Oh really? No, Do I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was. I was looking forward to. Series 7B. Yeah. What are we doing next time? Do we know? We don't know uh, yet, do we? Oh, I tell you what. We won't do this next time because we'll probably record that before this episode goes out, but we'll do it quite soon. We've already chatted out for this and then it got shunted to one side. Um, an episode where we look at the ways in which you've revisited the series, which would be the Target books mainly. It'll mm-hmm. probably be mainly the Target books, yeah. but also maybe VHS releases and even the DVD releases. Or repeats even. But what I'm saying is experiencing the stories after the first broadcast. So mm. probably focusing mainly on the target books, but yeah. looking into that. So email us, uh, blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk or find us on our Facebook page and give us some thoughts on, you know, revisiting stories after their first broadcast. And we'll do that perhaps in three weeks' time. Cool. The date. Yeah. Right, I was JR. I was Mark. I was Simon. And we will speak again soon. I'm shaking my booty. Contact us by email via 
Blue Box Podcast at yahoo.co.uk.